Welcome to Meaningful Journeys, a podcast about pilgrimage. I'm Dr. Heather Warfield, and I am passionate about connecting humanity through our shared quests for meaning. In this podcast, I'll be talking with pilgrims and pilgrimage scholars. I will have conversations with people impacted by both ancient and contemporary pilgrimage journeys, and we will also hear from people who live at these sacred sites. This program is supported in part by Antioch University New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. In this episode of Meaningful Journeys, I talk with professors Lauren Miller Griffith and Jonathan Marion about their book Apprenticeship Pilgrimage, Developing Expertise Through Travel and Training. I was really curious about their academic and professional backgrounds and what led to them writing their book. So I'd like to start with asking about uh, what are your professional or academic backgrounds and how did you come to become interested in this topic and sort of where was the gap in the literature that led to the book to begin with? Do you want to start that, Lauren? Sure, why not? Um, So apprenticeship pilgrimage as an idea came about as a result of my dissertation. I did my PhD in anthropology at Indiana University. And what I was studying was capoeiristas, uh, practitioners of this Afro-Brazilian martial art called capoeira, who wound up going to Brazil in order to train with local masters or mestres. And one of the things I found is that there are all these questions about who belongs, who's legitimate, who has the right to be a tradition bearer for this Afro-Brazilian art developed by enslaved Africans. Um, So what right do I, as a white woman then living in Indiana, have um, to claim this tradition as my own? And a lot of people wind up going to Brazil, at least in part, to gain that experience on the ground and sort of become a more legitimate tradition bearer. So that was the seed of the idea, and it came up in my dissertation and then in my first book. And I was actually at University of Arkansas for a year, um, and Jonathan and I had a lot of great conversations about this idea. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see that in my work, too. Um, So, Jonathan, maybe you want to take it over from there. Sure. Um, My background uh, was my PhD was from UC San Diego, and my dissertation research had been on the world of competitive ballroom dancers right before all the TV shows started. Um, so while that sort of undid a lot of my dissertation research, that's a world which um, I know very well. And I'd also done some research and published also regarding um, salsa dancers at the time, uh, not just in the US, but in the international traveling circuits um, of you know, elite competition and things like that. And so while Lauren was here and um, we were talking about her research and her background um, and the ideas Uh, that she had, I was commenting that, yeah, this really resonates with what I'm familiar with. And the thing that was different was Lauren's work had looked primarily at people going from the US to Brazil to study, you know, people pursuing this Brazilian martial arts, whereas mine had to do with people traveling uh, in many more different directions, since there isn't one place that really counts the most anymore for ballroom. And so it was in having those conversations that the idea for this model of apprenticeship pilgrimage came about. So one of the, the, uh, the things that struck me in looking at your book, um, just in orienting myself to, to what this is, is it seemed like many of the examples uh, that are given are apprentices in a non-job sense, uh, not necessarily in their hobby life or leisure life, but there's something maybe skill identity related. And so I'd I'd love to hear more about that, uh, to to hear kind of how you conceptualize, I guess, what an apprentice is, and then we'll jump into then what makes one an apprentice pilgrim. I think that's such a great observation because when we talk about apprenticeship, when we look at the literature, especially historically speaking, so much of that had to do with job training. 
And I think that what we're talking about, you can see in certain professions. And I think about craft brewing as an example, where people might actually go to Germany and train with a, a brewmaster there. And then that becomes their profession. I personally am just really interested in serious leisure. Um, I've been thinking a lot about play and oftentimes we dismiss play as being frivolous, it's not important, um, but play is when we enter this realm of the subjunctive and the what if. So I think it's, it's potentially destabilizing, it has the potential to alter your identity. And I met so many people, and this is the reason that initially I kind of gravitated towards the idea of pilgrimage, it wasn't optional for them. It was, I must do this thing. There were people that had gotten to a point in their relationship where they said to their spouse, um, I'm sorry, but it's either capoeira or this marriage and I choose capoeira. Um, for them, they, they had to go to Brazil in order to do this. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other things that uh, really emerged uh, in my work and then I think stayed true in talking through with Lauren, um, you know, the similarities is that it's not simply a matter of skill level equals professionalism or profession. And so it had to do with what was the commitment. And so I saw this many times. There were people who occupationally may have worked as a ballroom instructor somewhere, um, but then there were other people who might be more skilled, but were amateurs. Um, but for all of them, for different reasons, they still had to continue to travel to train at levels above what was available to them locally. And that the decision, whether it was part of the livelihood or not, um, was a separate decision um, from skill level alone. So it seems like there's a part of this then where the uh, who the person uh, believes to be of, of himself or herself um, needs also to meet with an external validation of that. Uh, and maybe that's the, the pilgrimage taps into this or provides maybe, a, I mean, a rite of passage, but also sort of a, where the internal who I am meets the external who I'm recognized as. Absolutely. There was a, a 2013 article that I wrote in which I differentiate between internal assessors and external assessors, and it has to do with that question of validation. So I remember meeting one capoeirista in Brazil, and she was at the language school where I was studying. And this language school, as many do, they'll offer these cultural enrichment classes and they had a capoeira class. Um, so I went and it wasn't at a very high level. It was very, very basic. And all of a sudden I see this woman and she's in all white and she's got a cord on that shows she's not a beginner. She came to Brazil with her uniform and her cord showing her rank and all that. So I asked her, I said, so are you gonna go and train with your, your teacher's master while you're here? oh, I haven't really decided yet. For her, it was enough just to be there. You know, so it was just her internal sense of Brazil is important in this community of practice. I feel the need to go and do it. But then you have people at the other end of the spectrum who literally cannot advance within the Capoeira world without going to Brazil. There's one organization in particular, and, and others do this too, but there's one that I'm thinking of where they only award teacher certificates at a ceremony in Brazil. So while they don't come out and say, you can't be a teacher unless you've been to Brazil, it kind of works out that way because you have to be there to get your, your certificate. Yeah, I think um, a similar idea that I had been working on before Lauren and I came together on this project, uh, I'd written an article for the um, Journal for the Anthropological Study of Human Movement on circulation as destination. And within the ballroom world, to count as part of it, you need to keep going to competitions. And so the point wasn't to go to any one place, but to always be seen within the field that counted. And so I think that's one of the things that really relates to what Lauren's talking about, that there are some differences from field to field, from one um, capoeira school to another, but yet there are places that count and that you need to be um, for that social recognition, for uh, being counted as a member by those who consider themselves, um, you know, the insiders. At the same time, there's also the issue of why do people do this in the very first place? And it's oftentimes, if not always, 
they've absolutely met the, uh, the peak of what they can do where they live, where's local. If you can master whatever you're doing with the resources you have available, you may still travel, but it's not as an apprentice pilgrim. What happens for the pilgrim um, after the pilgrimage when they come back home to their uh, the 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 place that doesn't necessarily validate them as either moving forward or advancing or become uh, more skilled or at a higher level? I think it's going to depend a lot on what type of art we're talking about and what the purposes are. So a I think it's in the book. Um, I tell a story about when I came home from being in Brazil for six months and my teacher said, okay, I'm going to show a move and only the advanced students and Lauren can do this because she's been to Brazil. She knows what it's like. Um, and I was laughing to myself thinking, well, sure. I trained the whole time I was there and I improved somewhat, but I'm not advanced necessarily. Um, but I was given that higher status because I was then seen as somebody who knew what it was really like. I had experienced not only the training environment in Brazil, but the culture and everything that went along with it. So I think in some cases you do get more legitimacy, but not in all cases. Um, Jonathan, do you wanna to speak to that at all? Yeah, um, I think it's a really interesting point because when we wrote the book, I hadn't been to Brazil yet, but my current research is actually on a dance form called Brazilian Zouk. Um, and I found something very similar uh, when I went, when I came home, where I live, no one else knows the form. Um, so to them, it's like, okay, you went, but it doesn't change my credibility. You already knew more than anyone else in this. But by the same token, when I then went to other events around the US, it became a matter of, okay, your dance level may be one thing, but you understand what it's about in a different way because you've been there, because you've breathed it, because you've lived it, because you've been in all the places where we learned it. So you've talked about uh, uh, skill advancement, uh, sort of rite of passage, um, as well as a sense of people feeling compelled um, to go on this, these, this type of journey. What else about these pilgrimages make them pilgrimages? Do you wanna talk about concursus? at all, Jonathan? Yeah, um, but do we wanna start there? Because that doesn't happen for everyone or every time. Sure, um, I mean, for me, it's, it's not only the compulsion, but also this um, change in your sense of self, how you perceive yourself differently after you've done the pilgrimage. Um, so we could think about it in terms of, you know, Turner's framework and, um, re-emerging after the liminal phase of the pilgrimage and being reintegrated into your community of practice with sort of this new status. Um, but I think that's kind of what we already, already hit on. Yeah, so one of the things you'd asked before about gaps in the literature, one of the things that emerged as we were doing the background research and just making sure we were accounting for things is we found that we kept writing about communitas-like experiences. Um, and it, at a certain point, I sort of stopped and I'm like, well, wait a minute. We're not the first ones to say that. This shows up in the literature, but if it's communitas-like, but not communitas, what is it? And so I'd gone and sort of searched through some of the Latin to figure out and the term that we really hit on that seemed to resonate more was concursus. And um, we're, it, it, the Latin has to do with you know, an encounter. But what was standing out for us is that with communitas, it's on both sides. It's that everyone participating has this experience of belonging um, in this same field, the same space. Whereas with concursus, we realized you may not even know if it means something to someone else, and it may not, but that doesn't mean it's not deeply meaningful to you, deeply transformative of your sense of self. And so this certainly doesn't happen to everyone partaking in apprenticeship pilgrimage, but I would say within our framework, we talk about different levels of 
pilgrimage. And what we're talking about has to do with the amount of effort it takes. Um, so the amount of time it takes to go. And so we're not defining it by distance because, you know, if you have to go by foot over a mountain range, but only travel one mile, um, that might be way more effort than driving far further. Uh, but so for the people who especially take, you know, the major pilgrimages, I don't think anyone sets out not intending to have a transformative experience. No guarantee, but it's that concursus experience where somehow being there, interacting with these people, um, your own learning really do change your sense of self, your self-identification within the practice that you're pursuing. So for the pilgrims uh, that you have been writing about, uh, are they classifying themselves as pilgrims or apprentices? Uh, and, and what does the, I guess, if not, um, and, and, and these people may be reading about your work or reading your work now, um, what, what, what is the, your sense about what they're thinking about the term pilgrim? When I first started using the term pilgrimage, nobody had described themselves in those terms, but they were using other words that related to pilgrimage. So they would talk about going to Bahia as the Mecca or the cradle or the font of, of capoeira. And so it was the metaphor that they were using that inspired me to kind of pick that up in my own writing. And it's funny because people are reading this book and I was doing a, an interview with a gentleman for a new project and I started describing, you know, my, my history with anthropology and the work I've done before is X, Y, and Z. And he got up and walked away in the middle of it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've lost him already. He's not interested in what I'm saying. He sat back down and just said, I know, and held up a copy of the book. Um, so it is catching on in limited ways. And I think it resonates with people because when I describe what I saw, um, at first I was a little bit nervous, kind of waiting for that feedback and wondering what they would think of it. And they'd say, yeah, that's me. That's exactly what I did. Um, so it's good to know that our term and our idea has really resonated with the community. Yeah, I would agree. Um, in my experience, the only place there's been any pushback at all are like hardcore religion scholars who really want to claim that <laughs> pilgrimage is theirs. Um, but yeah, this wasn't the terminology that, um, you know, the people I was working with were using. This wasn't the terminology that I had been using before um, I came together with Lauren on this project. As she said, she coined the term for her dissertation work but it was then the model in the book is one we built together because we'd experienced it at very different levels um, and really you know, went back and did some follow-up, um, the martial arts research in particular um, from China that you included, Lauren. Um, you know, we kept trying out different ways to really make things work. And when I've explained um, the work to you know, people since, everyone like, you know, nods their head and says, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'd given copies of the book to, um, I do a lot of dance photography. So like the cover photo um, I'd taken at a Brazilian Zouk event in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. And when I gave the book to both of the people who were on the cover and, you know, sort of explained, they're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, looking forward to reading it. Don't know if they did, but. It, it is interesting. Uh the whole language of pilgrimage, uh, I think, and uh, I can certainly relate in my own work in, in talking to people about journeys that may be healing or sacred, but they did not have the, the language around pilgrimage. Just labeling it as a pilgrimage is suddenly validating and, and, and the journey can now be set apart from any other type of journey that they've been on, that there's something that's very different about it. So it's probably a whole other thread of research for someone to pick up, but it is interesting that just using the terminology, uh, I think can be very validating for, for pilgrims. Um, in, in your book, you talk both about engagement and embodiment and 
I'm wondering how these concepts underpin uh, your notion of apprenticeship pilgrimage. Um, I think this actually ties in with part of what we were just speaking about, because even though this isn't the terminology that people were using themselves, one of the things which we do discuss in the book is they really, really rebelled against being called tourists. Um, that is not what they were there to do. That is not what they were about. And I think that speaks exactly to this issue of engagement and embodiment, that they're there to be part of something. And it's not just to see it. It's not just to have an experience in passing. It's to engage with it, to get part of it within themselves, however they conceive that. In the cases of much of our work, uh, because at least our main examples were from dance and martial arts forms, then the embodiment part really comes to the fore because they're truly building a different self at the level of not just, you know, physical prowess and skill, but even neurological um, linkages as some of the different work um, regarding martial arts, capoeira, et cetera, already points out. I think one of the contributions is getting it away from the narrow um, definition of it being a religious journey. And I keep going back to this idea of pilgrimage being a journey redolent in meaning, and that's really what it is. It can be to any place, uh, whether we're talking about a dance conference or we're talking to a famous Mestres Academy or the old fort where they used to sell slaves. Um, all of these things matter if they're valued within your community of practice. For me, it comes down to community. So there may be something, I, I may draw the line differently than other people do. With pilgrimage, if it's just something unique to you, I wouldn't necessarily call that a pilgrimage if it's an individual thing. Um, but for me, if it's a site that matters within your community of practice, then I think it definitely counts regardless of whether it's religious or secular. Yeah, and I think Lauren is really keying in on the main idea there that it is within a community of practice. Um, and so this isn't about, you know, I want to go do this for myself alone. This isn't you know, I think it would be great to go to this place because it would be great scenery um, or I feel the conditions would be great for my personal development, separate from how is that informed by a activity, a um, practice that is bigger than the self. And that's the part that makes it pilgrimage. So are you, are you speaking specific to apprenticeship pilgrimage uh, as this community of practice uh, part being really important? Or do you mean pilgrimage overall, that the community is important? I think it's pilgrimage in general, that the community aspect of it matters. The apprenticeship modifier to me, it is about a skill that you are trying to learn or some way you are trying, trying to improve by virtue of the pilgrimage but I think that community focus applies across the board. Going back to my earlier question um, about uh, apprentice and apprenticeship being differentiated uh, from the historical sense of a career or a trade or a craft uh, that where one derives uh, livelihood. Um, it seems like because of the pandemic, we are going kind of within, we're isolated. A lot of people are reevaluating their careers and their value systems, or maybe they've lost a career or job. Um, and so I'm wondering how this concept of apprenticeship pilgrimage is particularly relevant in the context of our global pandemic. I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking, but I have noticed some really interesting trends now that we're sort of under lockdown. Um, a lot more connection than I initially would have anticipated. I think when the lockdown started, I thought, oh gosh, this is so isolating. And at least the people I know in the Capoeira community, they were hurting. They were hurting emotionally because they couldn't be together and doing martial arts or dance, you need a partner. You're supposed to be engaging with other physical bodies. And that was very, very hard. 
um, the teachers were also struggling financially because they had lost their students and that was challenging. But then it was like the world came to this realization that we have Zoom and we can do more with Zoom and similar formats than we ever thought. So now you've got um, a teacher who's out in Oakland connecting with a teacher from the same tradition in Fort Worth. And they're connecting with their mestre down in Brazil. Um, and they're connecting with another teacher in Toronto and just these really neat global networks that are happening. Um, they always existed. We always knew that there were other sister chapters in these various cities. Um, but if you didn't have the resources to physically make a pilgrimage, you're kind of out of luck. And so now we're seeing this virtual pilgrimage happening. And I think it's really interesting because that was a chapter in the, in the book that I kind of struggled with. And Jonathan, I don't know, maybe you want to speak to this as well, but we got to that part. We knew it was important. We knew it was a thing, but I didn't really know what went in there. Um, and now we're living in the, the virtual pilgrimage moment, I think. Yeah, so I think I had a little more um, sort of material in mind when we were originally writing that chapter. But one of the things which at the time really sort of stood out to us is that virtual pilgrimage, you know, you might be leveling up your skill, your expertise, um, your, you know, sort of credentials as an aficionado, but really not your participation credit. Um, and again, some of that had to do with things like we were describing earlier of you needed to go yourself for it to count. And obviously that's not possible in so many circumstances right now. And so I think what we described in the book was true at the time, but it is starting to shift because the community buy-in, the community participation in the virtual space is different now, given that everyone has these same limits. Um, one of the things that I think parallels some of what Lauren described that I've seen is before, because of the direct body engagement, um, people would take from local teachers um, rather than take a virtual class, which makes sense. But now, if they have to take you know, classes virtually, well, why take it from someone local when you could take it from someone in Brazil? And so all of a sudden, students are being directly exposed to instruction from people they never encountered before and who probably weren't even offering anything online before. And so it will be really interesting to see how this continues to play out now and how this then um, at the least modulates experience once there isn't the lockdown and yet these networks and these experiences have been built, including the access to people that um, those training didn't have before. Yeah, I'm also thinking about people who, uh, a, a craft brewer, for example, who uh, has spent, this was a hobby before, before the pandemic, uh, because of the lockdown and time, uh, the person has had all this time to kind of to to work on on their their different brews and may want to know more and may even think I you know maybe I'd like to actually be like a master brewer and and open my own brewery so I'm I'm wondering too about how uh, this period of time might be launching people into kind of passion careers where apprenticeship pilgrimage may play a role in that, uh, where people have realized, I don't like my nine to five job. I want to do something that inspires me that I've been pursuing as uh, kind of uh, serious play or as, as a leisure or hobby activity. And now I'd like to make money doing it. I think that's such an exciting question to ask. I like this idea of a passion career. Um, I also wanna be cautious because on the one hand, it seems like, oh, well now classes are really accessible. I can pop onto Zoom and I can take a capoeira class with my mestre in Brazil or wherever that person may be. Um, and there are costs associated with some of these, but they tend to be much lower than it would be to go in person and you wouldn't have all the travel costs. Um, that being said, there are a lot of people who don't have the luxury of pursuing a passion during lockdown. Um, you know, you've probably heard my kids in the background making a lot of noise. And so I think we're going to see 
people using virtual apprenticeship pilgrimage in new ways, but that's not going to make it an equal playing field. There's still gonna be stratification. It's just gonna be a different kind of stratification than maybe what we've seen before. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's important there is someone certainly like the craft brewer you were describing could have, for lack of a more precise term, leveled up you know, their game, developed you know, their craft during this period. But that on its own, if we stay virtual, well, you can't serve virtual beers, um, which is very tragic. Um, but given that that is the case, you know, at some point you need to be able to re-engage with other people and it's still what you're doing needs to be validated by them for it to really count in this way. It seems uh, like also the the kind of sanctioning body or who sanctions the, the leveling up or the stages to reach um, the next level might, it may also be changing during this time uh, where you're talking about uh, people can access teachers in different locations. And then, so they're, they're at, at, at one glance, it looks more like a level playing field, but in the end of this, who will emerge as kind of the sanctioning body? That's a great point. And I've got no idea right now how it's gonna play out. I can only speak really to the, the Capoeira social field. And I know one thing that has been of concern for a long time is with globalization, um, will Brazilians sort of retain control over this art or is the center going to shift away from Brazil? And what does that mean for the population that nurtured it and protected it for so long despite a lot of persecution? Um, I know there's been a lot of anxiety surrounding that issue. So I can only imagine that now with everything being virtual, that anxiety is going to um, increase, but I really don't know which way it's gonna go. Um, Jonathan, you've probably seen more of the shift in power. I know with um, the dance world, do you wanna talk about that? Uh, sure. Um, so just to continue off what Lauren was saying, I think it's not just a matter of which way it's gonna go, but also recognizing that it's not just a singular shift. Each community of practice, each particular activity um, may be very different. And even as Lauren was mentioning regarding Capoeira, there's different schools and that may play out differently. Um, and I think the same would be true for any activity. Um, I think the example that uh, Lauren was referencing as far as my own work, you know, 20, 30 years ago, no one who wanted to be considered elite in competitive ballroom could not spend time training at the least and probably living in London for a while. Um, that's shifted. You have, it's still one of the places you can go, but you have, um, I'm actually a little out of the ballroom world now, but for a while you had the reigning world champions in both standard and Latin living in New York. And so that also with them, other elite competitors became at least an equally valid location to go and still be taken seriously um, as a competitor within the larger community. So the the pandemic aside and all of the changes that you have uh, been observing and and will continue to see um, as we emerge in the in the coming years, uh, what have you learned uh, since publishing your book about about the topic of apprentice pilgrims or apprenticeship pilgrimages? Um. I'll start with something which is actually a continuation of the last point, which is one of the things that both speaks to the changes from the current COVID situation, <clears throat> excuse me, but also really in some ways reinforces what we had been arguing uh, in the book is the importance within these communities of direct experience, but also Lauren's point of different levels of access. And so one of the things that's emerged right now, at least within some of the communities I'm familiar with, are that there are people in Brazil who are much, shall we say higher level, more skilled dancers than some of the teachers outside of Brazil, but they weren't the ones who had the financial resources or backing or weren't even known outside of Brazil enough to ever travel internationally as instructors. 
right now online, people are getting to know them. And that's fantastic. The question will become once we're all traveling again and for especially embodied practices, you want to have direct engagement and not just virtual, will these same people retain that level of recognition and stature or will they again recede into the background because they're not the ones who can show up? And so I think one of the things since writing the book is recognizing that it's not just a climb, but that there's also you know, a lot of other forces where there's a bit more fluctuation, um, maybe not at the very top, but regarding who counts and sort of that slightly lower down tier. Um, does that resonate for you too, Lauren? Oh, it makes perfect sense to me. And one of the things that has bothered me um, about my work is there are so few African-Americans in particular represented in my sample of apprenticeship pilgrims in Brazil. So based on my field work here in the US, I know that there are many African-Americans who do capoeira. Many of them do it because it's um, an art of the diaspora. So they feel that personal connection. So it's kind of odd to me that I only interviewed one African-American man when I was in Brazil. Um, did I just time my trip poorly and only ran into one individual from this background? I don't think so. Um, so it begs the question, were there so few in my sample because of the economic structure of the United States, um, systemic racism, lower income that prevents these individuals from making the pilgrimage? Or is it because African-Americans already feel a sense of ownership and legitimacy within the social field so they don't have the same compulsion to travel as say a white woman living in Indiana? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I started asking that question and the very first interview that I did on that topic, um, the man I was talking to, when I asked him something about the demographics of his group, he said, well, there are no all lives matter folk in Capoeira. And I said, you're right. Um, or there may be few, but I haven't met them. And that led me on this whole other tangent related to Capoeira in the US and social justice. But I think there's still that question in my mind and I don't know how to answer it just yet. I want to just uh, make a quick correction uh, because I just used the term apprentice pilgrim. Uh, when your term is apprenticeship pilgrim, you were probably cringing when I did it. Um, okay, and so I just wanted to uh, to to make the correction and maybe even ask: Would there be a difference conceptually in thinking about someone who is an apprentice pilgrim versus apprenticeship pilgrim? I think like from Lauren's facial expression, you know, that I don't think it stands out to either one of us as particularly problematic. Um, I wouldn't have thought of it. Once you pose the question, I think there's, you could make an argument that there's a slight difference. So an apprentice pilgrim in my mind would be someone who perhaps thinks that once they go, it's done. They've been an apprentice. Whereas apprenticeship is an ongoing activity and so it represents a, you know, participation in a process of belonging and continuing to become more within that field. But that would be nitpicking. Um, and I didn't have the thought until you mentioned it. Uh, this is a new area of, of knowledge for me. So as I was listening to you talk, I thought I should probably correct that if there is a difference and ensure that I'm using the correct term since you coined it, Lauren. Um, what do you wish uh, that you could have included in the book uh, that you did not include in this? I guess probably also ties back to what I just asked about what you've since learned since the book was published. I think there were a couple of things uh, that stand out. Uh, one of the things is of course, as we see how the whole pandemic situation plays out, what becomes of it? And that's something we couldn't have included. And I don't think even if we tried to pay attention to those ideas would have in any way, shape or form carried through. Uh, another is while we certainly came up with the idea of concursus while we were writing the book, there's much more to it than we originally put in. And um, Helena Wolf out of uh, 
Stockholm University who wrote the foreword to the book had commented that she thought there was really a lot of rich stuff there. And so we're in the midst of uh, working on an article where we actually build our model of that out more. Uh, the other thing that stands out to me is, and it's a to yet be done uh, article or project. Um, we've been talking in the book about the students who travel, but there is also the fact, and we reference it in the book, but we didn't really get to uh, you know, dissect it in the way that I think it deserves and we'd like to, that there is also this issue of there are these experts who travel and you know, to some extent, wherever they happen to be is a center of practice while they're there. Um, you know, if you can't go to Brazil for whatever reasons, but you can actually go and train with one of the, you know, top Brazilians while they're in your area, that counts a lot. Maybe not quite as much, but a lot. In other arts where there isn't a location, so say in the ballroom world, um, if the world champion is where you are, that's just as good as where they live since there isn't a single center. Um, and so both how that works, we spoke about in the book, but could fill in, but what we haven't addressed is what is that experience like for those teachers? Because they themselves are not making a pilgrimage, but are in this circulation um, and are actually building the field of practice, the community of practice in their own movement. And so I think that's something really interesting that we haven't addressed yet. Like a pop-up pilgrimage site. Um, and I think that would be that would be interesting to look at. And we've talked about doing more on that. The other thing that I would like to look at, and I haven't even fully thought it through, is these individuals who only have the chance to do opportunistic pilgrimage. For whatever reason, they're not close enough to have a regular teacher. They're pretty much self-taught. Um, they do try to make their own opportunities. I'm thinking of one individual in particular who is a choreographer and traveled the country and the world performing. And wherever he went, he would try to take classes. He trained his own backup dancers to do capoeira so that he would have somebody to play with but he never really had that long-term relationship with a teacher. So what does that do for you and your standing in the community? Is there a way to sort of claim a place for yourself when you don't have that lineage? You have all of the expertise, but you don't have the lineage. Um, so that's another open-ended question for me that I think would be interesting to pursue. You've both referenced your uh, personal practices um, in the in the art forms that you have written about, and I'm curious how your own identity has changed uh, with being able to kind of take a step back in this uh, kind of auto ethnographic space uh, in looking at the 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 journeys that you've made yourself um, that are that are pilgrimages. So I've moved away from capoeira as a practitioner, which um, I find sad in many ways because um, where I live now, I'm, I'm at Texas Tech University in Lubbock and there is not much of a capoeira community here. There are a few folks that practice the other style, but I don't know of any other angoleros, so I have no one to play with. Um, so sort of the academic side of things is the way that I engage with the community. So I am reintegrated with a different status, a la Turner, um, but maybe one that I'm not as personally fulfilled by. Um, yeah, so I'm not engaged so much with the ballroom or salsa worlds anymore, but I had uh, actually spent the first half of 2019 in Brazil on my sabbatical, um, actually doing some work uh, with the Brazilian uh, dance form that I was talking about, Brazilian Zouk. And the timing is sort of interesting because one of the things that really came clear to me was that a lot of my previous work was very much engaged with um, trying to add academic weight to dance practice. And so it was written very sterile. And so I don't disagree with anything I said too much. Um, I'm really not satisfied with a lot of it. 
and the project that I'll end up doing out of that research, I really want to engage with the experience a lot more. Um, it's a very strange time right now because right when I got back to the US, I was traveling to a lot of events um, and you know, still interacting with a bunch of the Brazilian instructors and even the people who are US-based knew I'd been there and you know, were talking a lot about it. But then on November 4th last year, I had a really severe spinal injury and couldn't even get off my back for five weeks. Um, and then right as I was able to start moving again is right when the whole sort of COVID situation emerged. So it's a very strange experience to go from living this, um, you know, most days to actually essentially being in the house for a year. So I'm a little bit struggling with that at the moment. Uh, so, so what projects uh, are you working on now? What excites you? Where are you going in the next few years with, with your research and writing? So I mentioned earlier that I had an interview where I was following up on one of these loose threads and I sort of got on the social justice aspect. And this is like Jonathan was saying, he's working on a project that really excites him. Um, I similarly don't disagree with anything that I've written so far, but I didn't in those books get as emotionally involved with my subject as I am in this current book that I'm working on right now. Um, so what I'm doing, I've just finished collecting interviews um, from capoeiristas, mostly in the US who use capoeira as a tool of social justice in some way. So some are teachers that take their students out into the streets as part of Black Lives Matter protests. Um, others are a little bit quieter in terms of their social justice and they envision their academy as a space where they can reach students on a very personal level and they can talk about the history of capoeira in such a way that it opens their students' eyes to contemporary issues of racial injustice that are going on in their own communities. Um, so both this externally oriented and this internally oriented social justice and activism through capoeira is what I'm working on right now. Yeah, most related to this, um, I think are both the article building out some ideas about concursus a bit more, hopefully being able to return to that idea of addressing the actual instructors in circulation themselves. And I love that idea of pop-up uh, centers. Lauren. Um, and uh, then, as I said, uh, work that really sort of highlights the embodied uh, dynamic of being a participant in learning are the most related on my end. Um, we also, it's again, with COVID and different people's schedules and everything, who knows exact timelines right now, um, but we're both working on a uh, edited volume regarding the anthropology of performance, because we think this is a very related uh, field and also a intro textbook, because we think we have a different sort of framework, um, the same topics as our traditional anthropology, but it's just a different world now. And so to keep using the same titles for chapters and cramming things into the same outline doesn't make sense. Um, and so we are working on that um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else? Oh, and the same way as Lauren has a slightly different sidetrack of her own. Um, I've also been training um, and getting certified in life coaching and think it's really interesting what the overlap is, especially in the applied area. I've been thinking about that the entire time both of you have been talking um, as well. Uh, I have been able to easily find your book uh, uh, through a, a variety of uh, outlets. I'm wondering if you can point our listeners to specific places they can get the book uh, or if, uh, if a general Google search is the best way to find the book. I have not actually searched in many different ways. Um, so Lexington books, you could find it there. You could find it on Amazon. Yeah, Please I think, find it somewhere. <laughs> I think what uh, is most important to both Lauren and I is just that, you know, for people who will find the material and the ideas useful, um, wherever you find it, we're happy. <laughs> well, it is such an interesting uh, perspective on the topic of pilgrimage and 
and certainly thought provoking for for me and and I've been in the pilgrimage study space for a bit of time but the idea of the 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 apprenticeship side and then how you've tied it to pilgrimage uh, I think inherently made a lot of sense and I and, and so I appreciated you kind of expanding on something that uh, initially I thought oh that makes perfect sense I didn't know what it was and of course, this makes sense. Thank so uh, is anything that you would like to talk about or mention either about the book, about apprenticeship pilgrimage, uh, or any of the projects that you're working on that I have not asked about? I would just say as, as with all of the projects that we do, thank you to everyone who shared their story with us. Um, because I see my job as an anthropologist to amplify the stories that are shared with me um, and use the access to media that I have been given. So that's what I would say is thank you to the capoeiristas who shared so much with me and the other martial artists as well. I don't mean to um, short sight them at all. Yeah, I would just echo that. Um, you know, we only have access to the information and the communities we do because the people there have chosen to let us have that access. And we're not there for the sake of just building our own careers, but really using that permission uh, to help share their stories in different ways of thinking about and approaching uh, the world we all live in. Um, and we couldn't do that without them. You have just heard Apprenticeship Pilgrimage, hosted by Dr. Heather Warfield and produced by Jonah Bayer. Copyright 2021, all rights reserved. Thank you for listening to Meaningful Journeys. This program is supported in part by Antioch University, New England, and the Meaningful Life Institute. We would love to connect with you on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook, or by email info at MeaningfulJourneys.net or our website, www.MeaningfulJourneys.net. We hope you will join us next time on our shared quest for meaning as we connect humanity one step at a time.